Well, Don Shula was the coach of the Miami Dolphins for many years. He passed away last May at the age of 90. But during his time as a coach, uh, he racked up 328 career wins. He still remains the, the winningest coach of, of all time. Uh, he took his team to six different Super Bowls, and he's the only coach that has ever led his team to a perfect season. Uh, you may not be a football fan. You might know him more by his line of um, steakhouses, uh, Shula's Steakhouse. Maybe that's more your thing. Uh, but Don Shula was kind of like a little bit of a local celebrity, as you can imagine, uh, in, in South Beach in Miami area. And so everywhere he went, he was recognized, couldn't really go anyplace uh, without people wanting to talk to him, shake his hand, uh, you know, say something about the team, good or bad. And so it was really hard for them to just kind of disconnect and get away. So whenever they went on vacation, they would try to get as far away Away from Miami as they possibly could. And so one summer after winning his second straight Super Bowl, uh, Shula and his wife went up to the small little community in, in Northern Maine, hoping to just kind of get away from it all. And one night while they were up there, they decided that they wanted to go catch a movie. And so they walk into the movie theater and as soon as the two of them walk in, everyone in the theater stands up and starts applauding and clapping and cheering and all that. And he thought, oh great, I cannot go anywhere without being recognized. He was a little embarrassed, but he was also a little bit annoyed by it. And, and so he, he sits down and he looks at the guy next to him. And he's like, you know, I gotta be honest. I'm, I'm surprised that you guys recognize me all, all the way up here. Are you Dolphins fans? And the guy looked at him and said, what are you talking about? The manager just told us that unless two more people showed up, he wasn't gonna show the movie tonight. And so we're just glad that you're here. And, and then he said, now who are you again? <laughs> who, who are you? How would, how would you answer that, that question? In his play, Hamlet, Shakespeare says this about who we are. It says, what a, what a piece of work is a man. How noble in reason, how infinite in faculty, in form and moving, how express and admirable in action, how like an angel in apprehension, how like a God. Beautiful, right? Almost as beautiful as the poet Ron Burgundy in Anchorman when he said, I'm not sure how to put this, but I'm kind of a big deal. <laughs> And if someone would ask you, who, who are you? How would you respond to that? What are some things that you would start to say? Would you point to your bona fides? Would you point to all those things that make you kind of a big deal? Would you point to your successes, maybe to your failures, your accomplishments, your achievements? Maybe you'd define yourself by what you do. You'd say, I'm a college student, I'm a professor, I'm a retiree, I'm a stay-at-home mom, I'm a teacher, I'm a banker. Sometimes we describe ourselves by the people that we're in relationship with. And so I would say, well, I'm Gary's son, I'm Amber's husband, I'm Madeline and Nora's daddy. Maybe for you, you wouldn't point to any of those things. What defines you is your pain. And so you might say something like, well, I'm a widow, I'm divorced, I'm out of work, I'm an addict. I'm depressed, I'm anxious, I'm scared, I'm insecure. And maybe it's your pain that has just grown inside of you so much that, that you can't think of anything else that defines you other than that. We're in the second week of our series called Beginnings. We're launched into this year-long journey called Core 52, where we're gonna be looking and studying 
the, the 52 kind of core passages that every person should know. And what better place to begin than in the beginning? And so if you have a Bible or a Bible app that you like to use, uh, turn with me to Genesis chapter one. We looked at the first couple of verses of Genesis one last week, and we're gonna look at the last verses of it today. Genesis chapter one. And in Genesis one, we start discovering answers to two of life's greatest questions. The first question is who is God? Who is God? That's what we looked at last week as we kicked off this series. If you missed it, I encourage you to hop online, uh, listen to it. What we found is that within the first three verses of the Bible, we, we see and discover that God is timeless and eternal. He's not bound by the same limits that, that we are. He is the creator who brings life to emptiness and order to chaos. He is the spirit who hovers and protects and nurtures, nurtures and watches over and cares for his creation. He is the living word that speaks life and makes all things new. That's what we learn about God from the very beginning of Genesis chapter one. And the second question kind of relates to it. The second question that Genesis 1 begins to answer is, who am I? Who am I? From a, from a young age, without even being prompted, we start asking questions about who we are. We start asking questions about our worth and our identity and our value and our purpose. We, we want to know, why am I here we're looking for clues from the people around us about if we matter. We ask ourselves what our purpose in life is. These are foundational issues. And right from the beginning of all creation, we see our creator begin to answer those questions. Look at, look at our verse with me today, Genesis chapter one, verse 26. It says, then God said, let us make mankind in our image. And God said, let us make mankind in our image. This is our core verse for the week. And in it, we discover two important truths, one about God and one about, about us. First is that we are made in the image of God. We are made, you are made and created and formed in the image of God of God. Everything else was created according to its kind, but you and I, we were created in Imago Dei, in the image of God. And so while the rest of creation has God's fingerprints all over, and we talked about that last week, we, everywhere we look, we see the fingerprints of God. While the rest of creation has his fingerprints all over it, you and I have his impression on us. We have his image firmly impressed into us, his qualities his characteristics. Being created in God's image doesn't mean that we have his abilities. It means that we have his attributes. It means that we are able to love and create and express in ways that God loves and creates and expresses. And while we certainly see those things in other parts of creation, we see them most fully in one another, in us. And being created in the image of God gives us intrinsic worth and value because his image is on every single one of us, regardless of age or gender or nationality or race. It's, it's why we fight for the rights of the unborn. It's why we stand with those who are experiencing injustice. Every single person is an image bearer of their creator. 
And because of that, their life has meaning and purpose and value. It's worth fighting for. The second thing that we discover in verse 26 points us back to what we saw in verses one through three. That there is something relational about the nature of God. Notice again, it says, let us make mankind in our image. These are plural pronouns pointing us once again to the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. By his nature, God lives in community with himself. And as his image bears, he created us for community. The truth about us is that we'll never truly and fully know ourselves in isolation. Uh, let, me, let me say that again. We will never truly and fully know ourselves in isolation. God created us to be in community and for community. We are better when we share life together. I, I got to go to a, a conference in Nashville, Tennessee this past week uh, for, for church leaders. And while I was there, um, caught up with some old friends from college and previous ministries and, and got to meet some, some new ones. And I tell you, there were, there were several conversations that, you know, when I was talking to them, like, hey, how you doing? Some people are like, man, I am great. Life is good. Ministry is rocking. But I tell you, I talked to a handful. When I ask them, how you doing? They're like, man, I'm not good. And they started sharing stories about how they've been hurt and wounded by their church, by Christians, They've been wounded by their family, hard times that they're going through. And as I shared their pain, and there were just some times where I found myself in tears with them because of what they are going through. And I don't know about you, but I think that there is just something so powerful. When I, when I share my burdens with someone else, I know that I'm not just like giving them over to that person, but that they are taking them on with me. And then I'm doing the same for them. They, they weren't giving me their burdens, but they were allowing me to share it with them. And after we pray, it just seems like man, we walk away going and realizing that we don't have to bear these things alone. It's because God created us for community. The God who has always existed in community created us to be in community with one another. It's part of his image on us. And we learn more about who we are as we close out the rest of Genesis chapter one. Look at it again. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish and the sea and the birds of the air over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. He created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish and the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. It is, and it was so. God saw that all he had made was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. 
And so God created man and woman, and then he gives them the authority over all of his creation. He gives them rule and dominion over the plants and the animals and the land. God blesses us and invites us to fill the earth, to continue what he started in creation, to make beautiful things out of the beauty around us. He invites us to enjoy his creation, to find joy and satisfaction in it. And what we see from the beginning is that Adam and Eve, and by extension us, we are objects of God's blessing. He created us out of love and joy, They have not even done a single thing yet, and and yet God is speaking words of love over them. He wants what is best for them. He wants them to experience life and joy and fulfilling it, much like when you held your child or your grandchild for the very first time. The only thing that that baby had ever done in its life was poop and cry, and you're like, I just want to give you the world. (laughs) And that's the same way that our Heavenly Father feels about us. God creates us in his image. He gives us his characteristics, his abilities, or his attributes. He blesses us. He delights in us. And we delight in him and all that he created. And then in verse 31, we find this phrase that's repeated throughout Genesis 1. It says, there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. And that's how this creation home kind of divides the periods of creation. We see this refrain throughout Genesis 1. There was evening, there was morning the first day, the second day, the third day. There was evening, there was morning the fourth day, and so on. And it's, I look at that, and it's kind of a weird way of putting it, isn't it? We don't typically think of days being separated by evening and morning. We usually say there was morning, there was evening. But I think this points to one more important truth about who we are that I want to make sure we don't miss before we close out today. See, the Jewish day began at sunset, not sunrise. It begins at sunset, not sunrise. And it's this daily reminder that your day does not begin with production, it begins with rest. Your day does not begin with production, it begins with rest. And we don't have time today to get into all the reasons why that was an incredibly important message for the original audience that was, that was reading Genesis 1 for the very first time and what it spoke to them about their value and their worth and their meaning. But man, this is so important for us today too. We wake up and before our head even comes off the pillow, our minds are already consumed by our calendars and our to-do list. We're checking our email and Slack messages. We're thinking about all the assignments that we have due that day or later on that week. We hit the ground running and we don't stop until we get to the end of it and we just crash back into our bed, grateful that we made it through another one. It's not just our minds, but it's our hearts that live absolutely consumed by all that we have to do. That's the morning, evening routine of life. But in the evening, morning world, your day doesn't begin with production. It begins with rest. The first thing that you do each day in the Jewish world was rest with God. It's this daily reminder that your identity is defined by him, not in what you do. 
this daily reminder of where our value and our worth truly comes from. And then, and then God wanted it to not just be a daily reminder, but later on in scripture, he would establish this to be a weekly reminder. The Sabbath, you will remember the Sabbath by keeping it holy. God instituted this, this weekly and daily rhythm where we work out of our rest and we find our identity in him. We look further into chapter two. And you'll see that the very first thing that God does with us is rest. How beautiful is that? The very first thing that God does with his creation and humanity is rest. He creates us. He gives us authority to rule and the ability to create. He tells us to work the land and to enjoy it, to fill it up and to make good things, but, but not yet. Before God sends us out to work, he invites us to rest in him. Why is that? I think it's because God knows me. <laughs> God knows you. He knows our temptation will be to find our value and our worth and our identity in anything and anyone other than him including what we do and what we create and what we produce, but your identity is defined by God's image on you, not by what you do. Your value and your worth is not in the work that you accomplish. Now hear me, there is value and worth in the work that you do, but it's not your value and worth. And we cannot get this confused. Listen, you are loved and cherished and treasured by God, not because of what you do, but because that's just what he has already declared over you. And when you work out of your identity, rather than work for your identity, you are actually living out how God created you to live and to work and to play. The apostle Paul tells us this in Ephesians chapter two, verse 10 says, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. The order of this verse matters. You are God's masterpiece first and foremost. And then you are created in Christ Jesus to do good works. You are known and you are loved and your work flows out of who you are and coming to a place in life where you work from rest instead of rest from work gives you more meaning and satisfaction and joy, not just in your life, but in your family. It gives you more joy and satisfaction even in the work that you do because you're living how God created you to live. And here's why this is so important. If you define who you are by what you do, then you will not know who you are when you have nothing to do. If you define who you are by what you do, and then all of a sudden you don't have anything to do, you're going to start wondering, who am I? What's my worth? What's my value? I think it's why so many people, especially men, struggle in retirement. They've always defined themselves by their work and their contribution. And when all of that stops, they lose themselves. They don't know how to find their worth and identity apart from their production. But I'll tell you, I struggle with that too. Maybe you do. 
I have a hard time just sitting and relaxing. My wife has to tell me all the time, it's okay to relax, but I sit there and I just get fidgety thinking about all of the things that I have to do either here or at home and the to-do list that just goes through my mind over and over and over. And I feel like if I don't get up and do something that I'm just wasting the day away. I feel guilty if I'm not productive. But I think it's because I bought into this lie that rest is not productive. Maybe you have too. I think that's why Genesis 1 is still so important for us today. The message that God wants to leave us in the creation account is that you are loved and valued by God before you ever did a single thing. You are loved and valued by God before you ever did a single thing. That is your true identity. That is who you are. Your value and your worth is not in the title you have, the things you do, or even the pain that you have experienced. You are loved and valued by God and you did not have to do a single thing to earn it. Mm, Can I get an amen? (laughs) Thank you. I think that's the third foundational question that each one of us ask in our life. We want to know, am I loved? That question drives more in you than what you realize. It drives what you do. It drives how you behave. It drives how you act, how you react, because we all want to know, am I loved? Brendan Manning was a Christian author and speaker who dealt with his fair share of demons throughout his life. And through it all, through his writings, through his lectures, um, he taught us how to continue to passionately pursue Jesus and his grace, even when we feel like there is no way that he would give it to us again. And he tells the story of how he became known as Brennan Manning. He was actually born Richard Francis Xavier Manning, but he had a childhood friend named Ray Brennan. The two of them grew up on the same city block in New York City doing everything together. They were lifelong childhood friends. After high school, they even enlisted in the army together and they ended up serving with one another in the Korean War. And one night, the two friends were sitting in a foxhole recounting some of their favorite childhood memories. Ray was eating a candy bar and Brennan was smoking a cigarette And he says, right about that time, a live grenade dropped into the foxhole right between them. And he said, Ray looked at him, smiled, dropped his candy bar and jumped on the grenade. Taking his own life, but saving Manning's. After returning home, Manning joined the priesthood and when it came time for him to choose his, his new name, he thought of his friend, Ray Brennan. And Brennan Manning would go through life filled with incredible highs and just sinking lows. He wrestled openly and honestly with guilt and with shame for most of his life, wanting to feel the grace that he talked to others so passionately about. Years later, Brendan Manning visited Ray's mom while at just a really low, dark place in his life. And as they sat in the kitchen talking, Brendan, just absolutely soaked in his despair, asked her, do you think Ray 
really loved me. And he writes later, she looked at him and said, Jesus, Brennan, what else did he have to do to show you how much he loved you? And he said it was in that moment when it just clicked for him. Jesus, Brennan, what more could he have done to show you his love? From the very beginning, God shows us how much he loves us, but to make sure that we knew and to make a way for us to come back, he sent Jesus. The Apostle Paul tells us in Romans 5, 8 that God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still separated from him, while we were still dead in our guilt and our sin and our shame, Jesus made the ultimate sacrifice for you because of his love. You are loved and you are valued by God more than you could ever know. He loves you so much that he sent Jesus to die for you even when you didn't deserve it because we would never deserve it. And so if you're wondering today, am I loved? The answer is more than you could imagine. And God has made a way for you through Jesus to come running back to him, to show you the full extent of his love. And if you're here today and you've yet to take that first step, salvation, identify with Jesus and his death, burial, and resurrection and baptism, proclaim your faith and your trust in him. And we wanna give you an opportunity to do that. We're gonna sing another song. As we close out our services, I'm gonna be right up here. I'd love to talk to you about that. Or maybe you're just here today and you feel like Brennan and you've, you're far from the Lord. You're dealing with some guilt or some shame and you just need someone to talk with you, pray with you. And we invite you to come at the end of service as well. I'm gonna ask you to stand with me. And I'm gonna close this off with a word of prayer. I thank you so much for the full measure of how you have shown your love to us through Jesus. Thank you that with outstretched arms, you showed us um, where our value and our meaning lies. It is in the love that you have just proclaimed over us. And as our heavenly father with outstretched arms, you welcome us back to you at any time. And so Lord, I pray that today, if we are chasing our identity and our purpose, our meaning and value in anything else, Lord. And we're coming up empty, which we always will. Father, I pray that we will turn and we will go running to you. The one who has declared that we are enough, not because of us, but because of what you have done for us in Jesus and our faith in him. Thank you for that gift. May we live in its freedom in Jesus' name. Thank you for watching this message from Sherwood Oaks Christian Church. Did you know you can view any message from the past six years at socc.org messages? You can also view complete worship services from the past month at socc.tv.